a quick note about this podcast on Park Chan-wook's movie from 2009 Thirst, I will be discussing spoilers from throughout the film, including the events of the ending. So if you haven't seen the movie, and I recommend you do, please go and watch it before listening. Cheers. Hello and welcome to K-Botak, a short podcast about Korean cinema and K-dramas with me, John. This episode we're going to be talking about Thirst, the 2009 vampire movie by Park Chan-wook. Specifically, I wanted to talk about uh, morality and vampires in this movie. It's obviously a vampire movie, but it contains a lot of interesting and really compelling ideas around morality uh, that I thought were worth uh, just kind of looking at and thinking about, because after I saw this for the first time, I was looking forward to it coming out on uh, Netflix Singapore, uh, after becoming obsessed with Park Chan-wook uh, in the last part of last year and um, immediately watched it and then just couldn't stop thinking about it in different angles on uh, kind of the things it had to say um, the maybe somewhat desperate uh, but inevitable conclusions of, of what humanity might become once you take away death, once you take away mortality but you still have to deal with uh, very human things like relationships the other people around you Thirst, which in Korean was called Bakji, uh, which translates to bat, stars the amazing Song Kang-ho, uh, who you'll know from Parasite, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, uh, Joint Security Area, a taxi driver, and many more, as Sang Hyun, who is an upstanding Catholic priest who contracts vampirism. Uh, Kim Ok-bin, who was in the terrific action movie The Villainess, as Teju, uh, she's the young wife of Kang-woo, who is a childhood friend of Sang-hyun. Uh, Kim Hae-suk, who uh, you might know from Assassination, The Handmaiden, The Throne, as Mrs. Ra, which is Kang-woo's sort of doting mother. Uh, Shin Ha-kyun from Joint Security Area again, and also Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance again, as Kang-woo, who is a sickly, abusive man-child. Um, and Park In-hwan as Priest Ro, who is a blind priest. So, according to production notes on the Focus Features website for this film, on the set of his debut feature, Joint Security Area, Park asked uh, the star Song Kang-ho to play the lead of Thirst. Song readily agreed, though the pair would go on to make two other movies together before Thirst finally began filming in August 2008. Park also worked with his regular cinematographer, Chung Chung-hoon, at the screenwriting stage, having Chung research scenes as they were conceived of and or written. Really, uh, interesting there how this has clearly been a bit of a passion project for uh, Park Chan-wook, far from him uh, moving into an established genre like vampire horror uh, to um, maybe raise his profile or draw in some genre fans. This is something that he has wanted to do for a long time before finally getting the chance. Um, having seen the movie and thought about it a lot, I think there's good reasons for that. So the premise, uh, Sang-hyun is, like I say, this upstanding priest who decides he wants to help the sick by having an experimental vaccine for a fatal disease on a mission to Africa. He erupts in leprous boils and dies, but he's been given a blood transfusion which brings him back to life as a vampire and as a messiah figure to his congregation back in South Korea. Um, during this period of adulation, he is contacted by Mrs. Ra as her son is sick um, this is Kang-woo, who is a childhood friend, and Kang-woo is now married to his long-suffering adopted sister figure, Teju, 
who is treated as a sort of lackey and workhorse by Mrs. Ra. Like many vampire movies, this is also a sexually charged doomed romance as well, with all the usual metaphors of sharing bodily fluids, spilling blood to enter a new and uh, adult-seeming world, and binding your destiny together and all that, all well and intact. Um, but this being a Park Chan-wook movie, the nudity and sex is part of the build-up to some intense body horror with plenty of neck snapping and a scene with a fish hook that I watch through my fingers. The interplay between the characters and the way this diverges from typical vampire fiction is what makes this one of my favourite Park Chan-wook films. So one of the big themes uh, in this story is sang control of his own destiny. He is uh, a priest who is confronted with many ethical dilemmas during his story, including uh, the fact that as uh, a, a Catholic priest he must now drink the blood of the living to survive. Um, he is seen as a messianic figure by his congregation. Um, his senior priest begs to be turned into a vampire so that he can regain his faded sight, uh, and he lusts for Teju, and eventually they begin a relationship. Um, obviously not, uh, not exactly kosher, uh, for priests, as we all, all know. However, he is always in control of his own destiny, unlike many other characters in this film. Um, Time Out said this film was about how far it is possible for a good man to fall, and that's true, but Sanghyun always falls on his own terms. So, from choosing to defy his seniors and to do the vaccine experiment right at the start, to taking blood from a comatose parishioner who fairly uh, worships him, um, although he demurs and agonises with his morality, he's always able to make his own path. As the movie goes on, he becomes more assertive, performing drastic, violent actions with little consideration. Um, so far from the, uh, uh, the guy who struggles with himself and agonises over things, uh, when he believes Teju has been beaten by Kangwu, he kills him in response. Uh, he simply assassinates Priest Ro rather than make him a vampire, he just executes him. Um, Teju, going out of her mind uh, at the situation she has found herself in, in a relationship with this deathless being, asks Sanghin to kill her. He does, but then resurrects her with his vampire blood, for his own reasons. Teju then begins to enjoy being a vampire, and Sanghin begins moralizing about her more aggressive attitude to acquiring blood. He viciously drops her head onto the ledge of a building. She cannot be killed in this way, so Sanghyun decides to just inflict pain on her, to express how angry he is with her. He even decides how he will be remembered, destroying his messianic reputation by publicly raping one of his congregation in the uh, later part of the film. Ultimately, he drives Teju to the middle of nowhere, with the sun rising, um, they're vampires, of course, and confounds her every attempt to protect herself. So she's trying to get out of the sun, cover herself with something, with the car. Um, he tears off the roof and all the doors of the car. Um, she tries to get in the trunk. He just rips off the, uh, the lid. I found this very, very cruel and sad as Sanghyun made his final decision for his own life, but dragged the hapless Teju into it as well. Um, Teju throughout this movie is in prisons, various kinds of prisons. And let's not forget, we have one of the greatest actors of South Korean cinema, I think fair to say one of the best actors, you know, doing it at the moment worldwide. Uh, Song Kang-ho is, uh, is absolutely incredible in pretty much everything I've seen him in. 
But you've got a performance by Kim Ok Bin here that, that rivals him for your attention and uh, for how much you're looking at it on screen. So Teju finds herself with far less autonomy in the events of the story. Things have always happened to her, and tragically that continues to be the case even as she begins an affair with Sang Hyun and even as she becomes a vampire. In the beginning of the movie, Mrs. Ra seems to make uh, Teju run and maintain and clean the dress shop that she owns for her. Um, while Mrs. Ra basically sits on her ass. She walks off uh, at closing time and uh, Teju is left to clean everything up and sort of settle everything at the end of the day. Uh, Teju is expected to run around for the group of friends Mrs. Ra has uh, around weekly who come to gamble. Mrs. Ra also treats her friend's wife as a maid. Um, the wife uh, has come from Philippines and is seen constantly making food, bringing drinks and cleaning. Um, the particularly loathsome aspect of these gatherings that you see is, is the implied racism due to this woman's heritage. As you begin watching this movie about supernatural deathless monsters, uh, I think I might not be the only one who feels that Mrs. Rice is actually the least likable character in the entire movie. Um, and you see Teju's relationship with Mrs. Ra later through her actions when the older woman has fallen into a psychosomatic coma after Kangwoo's death. Even though she can see everything that's going on, Teju doesn't care. Her, her deference to the woman was never based on actual respect but fear of consequences. And so when those consequences are taken away by the woman being comatose, she just does what she wants, behaves how she wants in front of her. It's quite an extreme but a uh, good way to show it. Uh, in the early part of the movie, Teju has to care for her constantly sick husband um, and put up with his unappealing sexual uh, advances, which are often happening at the same time as he's sniffing and snorting and uh, you know, covered in snot from whatever his latest ailment is. Her bid for sexual liberation, i.e. sleeping with Sanghyun, backfires massively, discovering he's a vampire who can scale the wall of the house and enter any room she's in. And when she tries to get away from Sanghyun, when she finds out he is a vampire, he's having none of it. Um, she says, I, I stay awake at night in fear of touching your cold hand. Um, so this, this escape has also become a, a prison for her. When she then becomes a vampire as well, um, this is when you get more of the traditional kind of floating across roofs and uh, she's lurking in the forest and uh, kidnapping people to drink their blood. She tries to control what kind of vampire she is. Um, and uh, Sanghyun even then is, uh, like I said earlier, um, kind of browbeating her over not being uh, moral enough um, and uh, putting them at risk for the way that she carries on. Eventually, even the freedom of death is taken away from her, being resurrected uh, when she asks to be killed by Sanghyun, he brings her back to life as a vampire. But then when she does want to continue on as a vampire, she doesn't want to die, uh, her undeath is taken away from her because he forces her to join him. It's actually quite a, I think, um, quite a, a stirring portrayal of toxic, controlling masculinity that this man thinks he has the right to make all of the decisions for this woman um, and for what she does, how she lives her life, even whether or not she is alive. Um, I'm sure that many people listening to this, many people watching this film, can think of uh, men that they have encountered that they know and think, yeah, actually, if, if that guy was an immortal vampire, he'd be like this. Um, and uh, that's the power of Park Chan-wook's kind of directing and the stories that he chooses to tell is that actually there's, there's something very human here in this story of supernatural creatures. 
So early on, one of Kimokbin's only escapes is to run at night. She runs barefoot in the streets outside, and in a pivotal scene when she meets Sanghyun, he picks her up and gently places her into his shoes to protect her feet. It's a moment of tenderness, but even as he does so, he removes her from her own method of escapism and literally puts her in his shoes, and he will continue to ensure she is unable to do things her own way for the rest of their lives and their afterlives. This is a brilliant movie, I think, about how messed up personal relationships could get if you introduced lethal violence, superhuman strength and resilience, and general unlife into the equation. It also shows these incredible character dynamics between a man who makes every decision on his own terms for himself and others, and a woman who tragically has her every decision made for her. I think the environments also do a lot for this movie. So what environments do you associate with vampires? Medieval towns, spired hilltop castles, vast forests at night, crypts and dungeons. Thirst exchanges these for a different kind of castle, as Sanghyun takes up residence in Mrs. Ra and Kangwoo's home. As they are respectively rendered uh, vegetative and killed, he fashions it to his liking. By the end of the movie, the fairly typical home, which plays host to Mrs. Ra's gambling parties and is always sort of shot down the corridor by Chung Chung Hoon, has been painted a stark white. It matches the cloth of a priest and the habit of a nun, but also the plain white walls of the clinic at the beginning, uh, where Sanghyun was transformed forever. Um, also almost looks like some kind of uh, mausoleum in some ways. At the same time, it's stark and clinical. It's like a bleak, bone-white crypt for Sanghyun and Teju to lose their minds in. It's austere and cold and deathly. Um, by interesting contrast, and uh, this again is from the production notes, Quote, uh, Teju's dressmaker's shop is a mixture of culturally clashing elements. Production designer Ru Songhee and her team used wallpapers and fabrics inspired by the phantasmal paintings of 19th century French symbolist Odilon Redon as an unbecoming backdrop. Jumbled up inside the traditional Japanese-style house are traditional Korean costumes, vodka, herbal medicines, figures of the Virgin Mary, and old Korean pop music. These incompatible objects together rid the space of any particular national trait, and the disharmonious quality of the space fuels Teju's frustration and desire for escape. Yet when Sanghyun gives in to his carnal desire there, the space becomes more fantastical. So, yes, the painting white of the walls also strips the house of any national trait, firstly, in a different way, but furthermore renders it in Sanghyun's image, makes it decidedly inhuman, and makes of it a canvas for some of the brutal blood spilling that will eventually happen in that house. While a creepy castle is associated with vampire law, a true parasite moves into a formerly personal space and wrests control of it, much how Sanghyun does with Mrs. Ra's home and Teju's life. In the process, they make it totally alien and far more frightening than some old brickwork and crimson drapes. Thirst is a fascinating conversation with Western religious influence and folklore monsters. Park Chan-wook said, As far as I'm aware, there is no vampire folklore in Korea. It's only stories imported from the West that constitute the basis of this modern myth. Um, there is, uh, of course, the, the Jiangxia seen in uh, Chinese folklore and also Mr. Vampire. So the characters, design and performances in this uh, make it entirely distinct from any other vampire movie I have seen. I obviously highly recommend it. Um, and I think that in terms of what it has to say and how it says it, um, makes better use of the vampire myth than almost any other movie I've seen. Thirst by Park Chan-wook, highly recommended.
and I hope that you've enjoyed this slightly different, more chatty, spoilery episode. You can follow this show on at kbotakpod, K-B-O-T-A-K-P-O-D, on Twitter and Instagram. Retweets and shares are much appreciated. If you like the show, please subscribe, leave a review. I'd love to read it out on the podcast. And you can now rate podcasts on Spotify if that is where you listen to them. Really appreciate a rating on there as well. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers.